Thanks for tuning in. It is the finale of our WBL series and what an episode to share. Now, what happens when a consultant and two lawyers walk into a room? What happens is they discover that they have a deep commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and they walk out as friends, committed friends. You're gonna hear from Jamie Tynan and Priya Bathija and Phoebe Yang, and they're gonna talk about DEI from the perspective of creating business excellence. They'll give you examples. They'll talk about how to deal with both the committed, but also those that need to be um, brought into this and results that it can actually achieve in your business. You're also going to hear how this fantastic trio together play off each other. You'll hear their chemistry. It's just a great episode. I'm so excited to share it. Please subscribe to Inspiring Women to hear more of these stories. But now let's hear from Jamie, Priya, and Phoebe. This is Inspiring Women. I'm Laurie McGraw. We're here at the WBL Summit, and I'm speaking with three executive leaders, and we're going to be talking about both WBL as well as, you know, beyond gender diversity in healthcare and in leadership and for women. And so I'm speaking with Phoebe Young, and she is a Fortune 2 executive, as well as a board director of many prominent com uh, companies. I'm speaking with Jamie Tynan, and she is a Corn Ferry executive, a principal there. She also has a whole number of additional efforts she does on the side, specifically about promoting women and diverse women at that. And I'm also speaking with Priya Bathija, and she is um, a, a CEO and founder of a company, Nayu Health. I want to learn a little bit more about that, and I really appreciate all of you being on Inspiring Women. Thank you. Thank it's you. a pleasure to be here. to be here. All right, here we go. <laughs> We've got our coffee. We're good to go. Why don't we just like start with a little bit about like each of you, a little bit of the bio sketch, sort of like, you know, what you do day to day. How did you get there? A little bit about that. Phoebe, why don't we start with you? Sure. Uh, thank you for asking and thanks for having us. This is a real pleasure to be here. Um, <clears throat> my background is it just very briefly is I'm from a really small town uh, at HBCU town in Arkansas. Um, I grew up there, uh, was born there and ended up, um, uh, finding myself after law school, uh, moving into the media industry. So I spent the first half of my career in the media industry, the time when it was being dramatically disrupted by digital forces and things were moving from B to B to B to C models and access affordability and convenience were really primary in that in that industry, and then uh, through the digital health angle, moved over into healthcare for the second half of my career um, and led population health uh, at a major health system. So not as a lawyer, but as a as business, business executive running to, you know, big divisions of these companies. That's right. That's exactly right. And then moved in the, te the technology arena at Amazon. Um, recently uh, departed Amazon and I'm sitting on a, a, a host of different boards and doing advisory work now so. and not just any old boards but like what what are those what are those boards uh, uh common spirit health which is a large nonprofit health system a catholic faith-based health system um uh, ge healthcare mm -hmm. and which spun out of ge earlier this year and doximity which mm -hmm. had an ipo a couple of years ago and has about uh distribution in about 80 percent more than 80 percent of physicians in the country. so some of the big ones so very good thank you phoebe jamie what about you yes well um i grew up as an air force brat so i got a taste for different cultures and different 
different geographies at a very young age, having to constantly make new friends and readjust. And that was core to who I am as a person and how I appreciate diversity. Um, my career has been very nonlinear. I actually started my career in banking, moved into consulting. And at that time, I had a lot of family members that were dealing with health struggles. Several of them had um, heart disease or type 2 diabetes. And I remember my mother having to pay $700 a month for her insulin. And it was at that moment where I really became passionate about healthcare from a business perspective. How can we really help reduce the cost for patients? How can they get better access to care? moved into healthcare as a consultant, mm -hmm. and then decided I wanted to work for a client. I wanted to work directly for a provider organization to see it from the inside. So I spent five years in corporate strategy working at Atrium Health, which was amazing experience, mm -hmm. and then caught the bug around talent and talent leadership and the importance of leadership for healthcare companies, specifically when it comes to representation of mm -hmm. leadership moved into executive search and spent the last couple of years there, now with Porn Ferry as a principal, where I focus on DEI as an enabler for stronger leadership teams and mm -hmm. how you can really um, advance your business and have amazing business outcomes when you have representation in the right way, how you can impact communities um, that need access to healthcare by having people that look like you on the board, people that look like you on the C-suite. And so that's where I've really been focused. And of course, most recently decided to write a book about things like inclusive sponsorship, making it accessible for women, women of color, um, because it's so important as we talk about the need for diversity and leadership, how we as executives can take a role in advancing that. Right. Um, and so those are the topics that I've been very passionate about. And I'm just honored to be able to share that today. Well, Jamie, not just um, not just sort of like doing the work and sort of, you know, the rise to executive leadership that you're in, but you also are doing it right. in terms of bringing uh, diverse leaders um, forward, not just in your executive search work, yes. but you also started a program. I and did. I, I mean, when I first saw you speak, yes. it was back when you were at Atrium. You yes. were incredible and in terms of just the both confidence you exuded, but also your commitment yes. to bringing women and diverse women forward. So what is that organization and how yeah. many women have you specifically brought forward? Yeah, so the, the it's actually a career initiative called 100 by 2030. And really it was about, you know, I've had the benefit of being sponsored in my career and having both men and women really supporting me in my career goals. But I also thought about how many women of color don't know about sponsorship or maybe not have experienced it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I thought as an executive, it's important for me to pay it forward. And also if I expect other executives to sponsor, I have to be willing to do that myself. Mm -hmm. So I made a commitment to sponsor a hundred women of color in healthcare by 2030. Uh, this is year three of that initiative. So I started it right before the pandemic. And I'm proud to say that I've sponsored 46 women. That's amazing. Um, so it's been a real enriching and, um, you know, I got into healthcare because of the mission of healthcare. And likewise, I feel very strong about the mission of sponsorship as an enabler. Well, talk about paying it forward and actually doing yeah. the work and, um, you know, paying it forward in a very meaningful and impactful way. So yeah. we want to talk more about diversity, certainly in this conversation. And I think that, you know, some people talk about it as sort of like a moral imperative. I think I love that you're focused on the business solutions and why it's important for just like, you know, running good business and the outcomes that you can achieve, particularly in healthcare. Mm -hmm. But Priya, maybe before we go into the diversity stuff, we can hear a little bit from you, but I also want to hear about your company. What are you doing at New Health? Yeah. So New Health is a new company, um, about six months old. And what we're really focused on is improving health 
and healthcare for women. Um, so that includes access, it includes better care, um, and really doing that three ways. First, by providing strategic and advisory services to organizations that are moving forward in the women's health space, also providing education and thought leadership on why it's so important to be investing in women's health. Mm -hmm. um, and then third, building a grassroots network of women that are trained to advocate for themselves when they are engaging with the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So very excited about that. Um, I also have had a very nonlinear career. Um, I am the child of immigrants from India who came to this country because they were doctors and they wanted a better life. And at the time, America needed doctors. So um, my parents immigrated in the 70s um, and, you know, grew up listening to conversations about health and healthcare at the dinner table. But I really sucked at science. And so when my parents were pushing for me to go to med school, I was just you like, you must have been very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, sometimes I think my mom still wishes I was a doctor, but she's very happy <laughs> with my career decisions. But um, I ended up doing business and then going into law school and navigating my way to a career in health law. Um, and it came to me very naturally. And it was only when I landed there that I realized there was no better place for me to be given the background that I had. Um, and so I did the health law path for about nine years, worked at a law firm and then in-house at two different health systems. Um, and then I switched over to the health policy space and spent nine years at the American Hospital Association um, doing a variety of different things from being a policy advocate on inpatient payment and rural hospital issues um, to creating a think tank that looked at affordability and value. Um, and then I got to lead our efforts on maternal and child health. And that's really where this interest in maternal health mm -hmm. and women's health more broadly was really sparked. And it's not a deep story. It's just how we deliver care to women in this country is so messed up. I couldn't keep looking at these examples that, and now since starting New Health, I hear from women every day, something that they had as a challenge in the healthcare system. And I just want to make it better. Mm -hmm. In terms of making it better, where's the biggest opportunity? I mean, I, you don't need to tell me in terms of like, there needs to be more investment in women's health. And it seems like it's a new thing right now. And there's all this excitement, but where are the opportunities and why, why is it important to invest in women's health? Yeah. So I think obviously there's an opportunity in maternal health. We have some of the worst maternal health outcomes in the in the world, right, especially compared to developed nations. Um, but beyond that, I think there's a real opportunity to look at the continuum of care for a woman throughout her whole life. Mm -hmm. We as a society spend so much time focused on the reproductive cycle and not looking at you know, two thirds of a woman's life that isn't surrounded by reproductive reproduction, right? And so looking at it across the continuum of care and making sure that women are healthy in their li lives and their lifestyles from when they are adolescents all the way until, you know, past menopause even, right? And so we have this tremendous opportunity to look at solutions that can go across the continuum. And right now, there's so much excitement and energy and new solutions, and they are sort of point of care solutions, right? So everyone's evaluating different things to treat, for example, fertility or menopause. And as we move into the future, there's this huge opportunity to figure out how to streamline and connect those solutions. Mm -hmm. Because no woman wants to use 10 different apps to take care of her care, and no provider wants to figure out how to recommend 10 different apps. So mm -hmm. down the road, we really need to figure out how to streamline and connect. But right now, we're in the exciting phase of trial, 
and error and seeing what works best. Yeah. Well, I think it's so impressive. I mean, we have two lawyers here. We have somebody who grew up in consulting and then on the provider side. And now as business executives, this is the path that you chose. I'm a big believer in women's health and the fact that it is like a new and exciting and fuzzy thing. <laughs> so new, right? <laughs> but it is what it is. We all have work to do. Let's talk about some of the things that brought you together. When did you all become friends? I mean, you like, you just, you like common in purpose, but you also have developed a friendship in terms of the, what you're working on. When did this happen? That's a good question. It is. Well, Phoebe, I met you during the pandemic when we were both working on the 100 oh, million mass challenge right. um, to find PPE for hospitals. And Jamie, I met you when you were on a committee at the American that's Hospital right. Association, yes. and I came to present at that committee. You did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I don't remember when you two met. I think you were the connective oh. tissue between me and Phoebe. <laughs> so there was like so many different, like just a web of connection between the three of us. Yeah. And then we realized that we had a lot of common passions and interests, mm -hmm. which kind of helped to evolve the relationship. Too. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to be part of the in crowd too. <laughs> let's talk about that common purpose. Let's talk about diversity and let's talk about, you know, so I do um, as, as clearly a woman leader, I've always been focused on gender diversity and that is um, important, but that is hardly as difficult as it is to have real diversity. Let's start with just sort of like the grounding, sort of like, you know, where are we with both like diversity in executive level, positions um, in the boardroom? Who knows the stats? I don't have the stats right here, but what I would say is where we are in general is I think we've gone through a big wave of real focus on diversity and having diverse leadership. And there's been a real um, impetus towards changing the the color and texture and, and gender of of leadership teams. But that's been and that's been fantastic. But it's sort of ridden the surface on some level. And now we're to a point where the rubber is meeting the road. And the question is, are we going to stay the course? Mm -hmm. Because when things get tough, oftentimes people forget what seemed like now in retrospect, a bit of a fad. And so I think um, in the context of that, what we've seen or what I've experienced myself in leadership teams, both within a health system, but also within the tech industry has been that <clears throat> the importance of not only recruiting, but also supporting and enabling diverse leadership teams so that they can move forward in a way that advances the business. And so when I uh, went to uh, Amazon, I ended up um, inheriting a team that wasn't particularly diverse, but what I realized is that it also wasn't really aligned with the business that we were really trying to, to advance and grow. And the first thing that we did um, was to begin to really think about what we needed and align it with sort of our healthcare customers and really trying to advance their interests. And that was in the middle of COVID. But you can't do that, as Jamie said, unless you are uh, reflective and representative and actually understand the way that your customers think. And therefore, you've got to understand the way that their customers or the patient and communities think. And in order to do that, you've got to have people who come from those backgrounds um, and have experienced some of those things. It doesn't mean that they have to be identical, but really being able to provide some level of representation, but also um, uh, advance um, the interests of of those communities, and therefore you can you can serve them much better. And so what happened was we turned around a business that um, was was one of the worst performing businesses at this big cloud provider into becoming the top performing or the second top performing business in that part of 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 the cloud services 
uh, division and what we ended up seeing is very rapid growth. We hit numbers that we didn't think we would hit for three or four years and we hit them in a year mm -hmm. and it's still sustaining, you know, two years later, it's continuing to grow 60 to 70% year over year, every single month. And it's because of the leadership team. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because of what we're able to do with our customers. And so I think a lot of people think of, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion as sort of a social philanthropy mm -hmm. sort of agenda. But in fact, it's really a business imperative. And when you do it the right way, it advances your business and it grows exponentially, and particularly in healthcare, where what the services that we provide ultimately serve a community, mm -hmm. <laughs> various communities that we want to um, align with. It's not just that we are selling widgets. Mm -hmm. We're actually trying to serve the whole person mm -hmm. in the context of that. And it's really difficult to do that if you don't have some level of, um, of alignment of both interests and also mission. And representation. And I think that, you know, I, so certainly during the course of the past two to three years, the number of DEI committees mm -hmm. that have um, started up and people who have um, positions of chief diversity officer yeah. and things yeah. like that has um, been seemingly trendy, but yet the numbers haven't really changed pretty dramatically. Certainly in big tech, we haven't seen executive teams turn over um, from, uh, not turn over, but modify in terms of being more representative in the boardroom. Um, while again, there were laws that were passed and since repealed, we have issues there. We've seen 23% of corporate directors um, being uh, corporate boards, having women on them, only moving to 33% in the right. past several years. And when you get to beyond just gender, the numbers are worse. So why is it so hard? Okay. Everyone wants to do it. So there does seem to be this moral, I get you, but it doesn't really materialize. And I think the business imperatives, which are so compelling, don't seem to actually move the needle. So Jamie, yeah. what are your thoughts there? Well, I'm so glad you brought up the, the topic around uh, the focus on bringing in chief diversity officers, because what we're seeing right now, especially as the alarm bells around the recession have been happening over the past 18 months, is that companies are now starting to curtail the investments and the initiatives when it comes to DE&I. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first things that goes, right? Yep. When you're thinking about needing to tighten the belt and reduce cost. Um, and, and that's really sad to see because there was such a groundswell of interest in 2020 around advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, there's a really great article recently, a paper that McKinsey and the Lean In organization did around women of color in healthcare and how a lot of women of color, especially Black women, have the burden of shepherding DEI initiatives in their organization and they're grossly under resourced. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, there's certainly the interest, at least on the surface, like Phoebe says, that there's interest in wanting to have diversity in leadership. But when it comes to where the money goes, right, that's where it really the rubber meets the road and where you actually see commitment versus just window dressing, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing women of color getting frustrated because they're excited and passionate, like myself, about DEI, but then they're put in roles where they can't be as successful because they don't have the funding and the resources and the time and the commitment from leadership to make that happen. Right. Um, where I get concerned, especially as we head through 2023, is as companies again start to tighten belts, they'll look and say, oh, DEI hasn't really achieved the outcomes we're expecting. We need to, you know, cut costs. Different there. programs. Different right. programs, et cetera. But diversity, equity, and inclusion, and even belonging is not a sprint. 
right? It is a marathon Mm -hmm. and it requires multiple years of investment and commitment to seeing those outcomes come. Um, It requires leaders and especially executives to change their mindset around it being a business imperative and not just something nice to do because it's the right thing to do. And that takes time Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with executives who maybe have gone through their career without having to really think about diversity in the way that we're really expecting executives to these days. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's certainly on the surface, the interest, but I like to see organizations that can talk about their outcomes, that are funneling money directly to those outcomes, that have their chief diversity officer reporting directly to the CEO. So -hmm. they get the visibility and the attention that it needs. Um, So I think it comes down to making sure that your organization is aligned strategically around DE&I, how it's going to really move the needle from a business perspective, and then making sure you have the budget and the resources to make it successful. So so in your role as as a principal for executive search, how do you advise your your clients, you know, or people that you're trying to place to make sure they're moving into roles that are not just window dressing? Yeah. Like what what hard questions do you ask them to ask or you try to draw out to make sure it's not the yeah. you know going to be cut next year and we need to tighten some, you know, PNL somewhere. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of questions that I love to ask executives executives. Number one, um, I always like to ask, especially if you are in the C-suite, who are you sponsoring? Mm -hmm. Like who are the talent that you're sponsoring and are they diverse? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I'd love to hear that answer because sometimes you'll find a lot about the organization and the culture. If everyone that executives are sponsoring look exactly like them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to ask about the outcomes. Most organizations will have a diversity or position statement, Mm -hmm. but going beneath that, beneath the values and saying, what are the outcomes that you've had in this past year in your organization? How many people of color have you advanced in the organization? Mm -hmm. What does pay transparency look like for executives or for even the middle, the, the, the frozen middle, as they call it, uh, for you know, people of color? Are they advancing their pay? Are they advancing in the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I also ask about is about their board. Is their board diverse, mm-hmm. right? Because it starts from the top. Right. The, board, the CEO reports to the board. Right. If the board is not representative, then that's a problem because it's not getting the airtime in those board meetings to mm-hmm. talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few things that I ask. But then I also ask about, you know, when you talk about diversity, what does that actually mean to you? Mm-hmm. Because people have different definitions of diversity. A lot of times companies do focus on gender diversity. um, But when you start looking at the data within gender diversity, you see there's a lot of gaps for women of color, right? So how are you defining it? And then how are you making that part of the fabric of the culture of your organization and everything that you do? Mm -hmm. I think, and we'll come to the sort of, you know, question of like bearing the brunt and the burden because it does fall to the women and particularly, you know, black women in particular, every chief diversity officer that is out there that doesn't say that they are burnt out is um, kidding us. (laughs) So um, Priya, what about for you? So you are um, one of the members of, for WBL, 22 year organization. We're here at a WBL conference and you actually are, are a member of what is a DEI committee. So um, so yeah. what's that all about? And why is that important in an organization that is so supportive of particularly, you know, getting women into boardrooms? Yeah, so I first want to say I could listen to Phoebe and Jamie talk. <laughs> I learn so much every time. Um, but just hitting on some of the points that they already made, um, we wanted WBL to be a diverse organization where everyone felt inclusive, included, they feel like they belong. And um, we knew we needed to do that. But when we were starting the committee, we actually didn't know what our membership was, right? We didn't know how we wanted to define diversity. As you said, Jamie, we didn't know um, 
who was in our membership. We never asked. We didn't ask for statistics around age, race, ethnicity. Um, all we knew was where they worked and what mm -hmm. their title was. And so the first step that the committee took was to really get the things in place we needed to have a definition of diversity, ask our members who they are and what they are, if they want to report that to us. Mm -hmm. So we could have the data around who's in our membership. Um, secondly, we knew once we had that data, we wanted to figure out how to use this committee as a way to support and elevate the diverse members we have within WBL. So how do we celebrate, for example, Asian Pacific American Islander Month or Black History Month? Um, how do we celebrate those things that are important to our members, but also give members an opportunity to be featured or highlighted if they want to be in those um, situations. Um, so that was really the first purpose, right? How do we bring diversity within our organization? Um, but second, and this is where we're moving into the future, is how do we train and educate WBL members so that they can go back to their organizations mm -hmm. and be ambassadors for DEI? How do we help them have the challenging conversations that they're going to need to have when they raise these issues? How do we prepare them to measure the outcomes and mm -hmm. understand what's working and not working, mm -hmm. both from a business perspective, a moral perspective, or even when we're all health healthcare leaders from a health equity perspective? Because we know that health equity can improve outcomes, um, experiences, and lower costs. So yep. how do we use diversity, equity, and inclusion as a way to lead, have happier and healthier patients, mm -hmm. right? And so those are really the two priorities for the DEI committee, and it's been really fun to be a part of it. Um, the committee is never short on ideas, and it's so fun <laughs> to like talk about these things and hear their perspectives from different parts of the healthcare ecosystem, because I can represent what's happening in hospitals and health systems, but it's so nice to hear what's happening in private equity and venture and pharmaceuticals and just really all over the place when it comes to DE&I. And so it's been a fun experience and I'm looking forward to the work that we do as we move forward. Yeah, well, you're all committed and you're all doers. And I'm going to assume just like, you know, being women, being diverse women and being executives, I mean, you've sort of like, you know, been there, done that. So I'm assuming the following, I'm assuming that you outworked, you outsmarted, you've done all the things that helped you get to the positions that you are. And you also overcame many barriers along the way. But as you talk about DEI as a business um, imperative, um, you're not you're not speaking to somebody who needs to be convinced, but mm -hmm. you talk to many people who do. How do you combat that? And where have you been effective? We can all imagine the many times that it hasn't been easy. But Priya, how do you um, help convince someone, make them interested where they might not be? What has worked for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's focusing on the outcomes, right? And focusing on the business case. So when I was at the American Hospital Association and sort of advocating for hospital leaders to pay attention to health equity, it was how does it improve outcomes for patients? lower costs for the system and improve patient experiences, right? And so having real data around how programs across the country have been able to do that, um, that was critical. Like we never shared a case example or a, case, a best practice without being able to show that it did one of those three things, if not all of those three things. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really important. And as we have this DEI conversation and more 
organizations take steps and try different things and we see the outcomes, there's going to be more robust data that we can bring forward on that ROI. And the same for women's health, right? So we're having this, we're at this moment in time where we're having this great conversation on investing in women. Um, mm -hmm. And we need to keep up and be loud around what is the return on investment, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, 50% of the world in our country are women, um, 60 to 80% of the healthcare workforce are women, women are making 80% of the healthcare decisions. Yes. Now, what are the real financial implications on that? If we don't have healthy women, we don't have healthy families, and then our whole country suffers. And so there's real data around that ROI. And I think that just needs to be brought to the front of every conversation. I think I think it's probably the core of the conversation. Uh, you know, in my my view is DEI is the last of the things that, you know, that you lead with. You start to lead with those kinds of things yeah. that might be helpful. I'm glad you're doing that. What about for you, Jamie? I mean, yeah. you know, convincing the the people who it hasn't been part of their purview. It hasn't been part of what they've needed to think about, nor do they want to start thinking about it now. Yeah. Um, how do you interest them in, ter in terms of like being focused on diversity? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I love what Priya said about focusing on outcomes, but I also think making it personal mm -hmm. is also helpful to convince people, right? So for many healthcare organizations, your, your consumers, your patients are diverse, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you really want to reach all of the, your customers in a different way, you have to be able to speak to them in an authentic way. Um, and so if you are an executive working for an organization that's not focused on diversity, you are not speaking to a large population that you know really takes your, your products and, and engages in that way. Um, so making that personal, and it's so interesting because particularly with men, it, it's, it's a conversation around, um, you know, most men have women in their families, right? Mm -hmm. They have daughters, they have wives, they have sisters. And, and imagining you working in an organization where they can't be successful because mm -hmm. of uh, something they have no control over, you know, their yeah. sex or their gender, right? And so um, making it personal, making it something that's relatable, helping them to see how they can be part of the solution, right? Mm -hmm. How they can use their power and influence to really advance DEI if they want to be an active participant, I think is also helpful. So I think in addition to having the business outcome conversation, it's around making it something that's relatable and personal so that they can find themselves in the solution is also helpful. Great. And Phoebe, just from your perspective, you know, sort of in the boardroom, yeah. you know, so we know in executive leadership teams, you talked about the great outcomes that you have with your cloud services, you know, with the diverse, diverse leadership team. How has it helped to have diversity in the boardroom? And is that a topic that comes up? It does. It, it comes up on every board that I that I have the pleasure of sitting on. But I think part of it is because there's been a lot of intentionality around making sure that there are board members who are one representative of different communities, but two um, uh, are intrinsically interested in ensuring that we don't we're just we're not just doing it for superficial reasons. We're mm -hmm. actually trying to advance. Um, equity uh, in healthcare, and so all of those things come to bear and. And particularly um, when you articulate a, a mission uh, of a company, always coming back to that mission and really driving outcomes based on how you articulate that mission. So you make it very, very real. I mean, I'll give an anecdote to amplify because I love what Priya and Jamie just said. Um, I remember earlier in my career, I walked into a meeting. I was supposedly staffing a meeting. And the meeting was about women in healthcare and how we're going to serve the women consumers. 
And the meeting literally had 18 men around the table. Mm -hmm. And I, I was the only woman and I was the only person of color. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I thought the irony of that, nobody actually came with any data. They went around the room talking about their mothers. And um, at the end of the day, there was no outcome for the mm -hmm. meeting. And so I sent uh, a note to the individual who was in charge of the meeting. And I, I knew that this particular person saw me as a staffer, not really a voice at the meeting. But I also knew that he adored his daughter mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, thought his daughter was perfect on in every possible way. And she was a pretty outstanding woman. And I just said to him, at some point in her life, mm -hmm. she will work in an organization like this and she will have a boss who will be in the position that you're in. Mm -hmm. How do you want that boss to behave towards her? And I just, I just, you know, and it wasn't an, an accusation. It was more inviting him into the space to really broaden his aperture around he, how he thinks about diversity and equity and the business imperative of reaching the 80% of purchasing decisions that happen in healthcare. And how do you really do that in a concrete way? And so as we began to have that discussion, he looked at me like I was kind of strange uh, in, in, in having the follow-up conversation, but eventually I think it did sink in. Now, I also gave him the space mm -hmm. to change his mind, right? Because that's that's the challenge. If we If we set it up as an us versus them, you don't get past that. Yeah. And so I think part of it's inviting people in. The other flip side of that is don't assume that people who are women or even women of color necessarily align on this because mm -hmm. many of them mm -hmm. feel that they have made it yeah. and they've made it despite and yeah. they're not there to help anybody along. And yeah. so make sure that the interests are aligned and there's an intrinsic visceral desire to see sort of a broadening the aperture because, you know, um, some of the, the best advocates can be white men. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then some of the biggest challenges can be, you know, women or people of color. And so the, the, the question is, how do we invite everyone into that so that mm -hmm. we see that it's also a business imperative, but it's also a personal imperative along these lines? Well, it's such so many great nuggets in there. First of all, having the awareness and acuity to just really appreciate your audience. But then Jamie, to your advice, making it personal in a very, very concrete way. I love that story. And I appreciate you sharing, I could feel like I've got so many things, but it's not <laughs> we do need to close out this um, inspiring women conversation, you know, um, as um, executive leaders, as women who are very focused on helping, well, we'll call it the next sort of like leaders that are emerging, not having a frozen middle. And I love that term. Um, I'd love to just cl close out with maybe your, um, whether it's advice or your best aspiration of where we can be in the future. I mean, Priya, what, what would you say to that? I would just say we all need to keep our options open, right? There have been so many times in my career where I thought X is what I need to do next and it will bring me supreme happiness and I will be in the best place ever when it comes <laughs> to my career in life. And that doesn't always happen, right? And there have been opportunities that I never thought of um, that have come my way and I've said yes to them and they've ended up being the best things that I've ever done in my life. And sometimes you just gotta be brave. And if you don't find something that looks right, be willing to try something on your own and bet on yourself and bet on the skills that you've developed in your career and the fact that people want to support you and they want to rely on your skills to make what they're doing better. And that's sort of how I got to new health, right, is taking that leap and saying, OK, I've got 
this much experience under my belt. And now it's just time to try something new. That's great. So I think being open and trying new things. That's great. And your parents will be proud, even if you're not the, <laughs> <laughs> they are the biggest supporters. That's awesome. That's awesome, Jamie. Um, so um, since we are at the WBL summit, there was a really powerful uh, keynote speech on Monday morning that really spoke to the advice that I've received. And I think women don't hear it enough, right? Mm -hmm. Which is around surrounding yourself with people that support you. And if you don't have that support, get new friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important that um, you think strategically about who is in your circle, who are your cheerleaders, who are your champions, who are your sponsors, right? And if you don't have people that are um, pounding the table for you and supporting you, find those people, find your tribe, right? That's going to really energize you. Um, I remember Mary Flipsy said that she didn't need coffee because she got so much energy from Daphne's uh, talk. And I got a lot of energy just reflecting on the fact that I've had to make some changes in my friend circle because mm -hmm. I needed the, the right support and the right champion. Um, so don't be afraid to really seek out friends and supporters that are going to have you in their corner and really uplift you and give you the wings to fly. Yeah. And you need different ones at different points in yes. your career mm -hmm. and for different things. That's such fantastic advice coming from a person who focuses um, yes. so much on executive <laughs> recruitment. Phoebe, what about for you? I think the, the, really key feature to keep us all fueled is to not only find our tribe, but also how do we create the tribe that we want? You know, who are the people that we want to invest in? How do we want to go about investing our lives? You can't, you can't, women tend to want to feed the whole world, right? But then in, in reality, I think we often are wired to want to support everyone at the same time. We've got to be really thoughtful and strategic about how we invest because we we're doing it for the long term. And so, you know, at the end of our lives, we're not going to look back and say, gosh, I wish I closed that deal or gosh, I wish I'd won that case or I wish I'd gotten that award or I made that speech. What we're going to say is didn't invest in the people who mattered in my life. And that's what I regret. And so how do we want to do that today? And how do we want to do it in such a way that the outcomes that we see at whatever point is the end of our life, that we that that we can look back and really be gratified by that and fulfilled by that. Well, you are clearly the three of you just working on something very important beyond, I would just say your day jobs in terms of what you're doing. And I love the camaraderie and friendship <laughs> awesome. and commitment that you each have for each other. This has been an amazing, inspiring women conversation. I've been speaking with Phoebe Young and Jamie Tynan and Priya Bathija, and I really so appreciate all of you being here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. This is so fun. Well, yeah. 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 This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.